Today in The Journey, Pastor Steve DeWitt shares a lesson from Luke 21 on generosity. The model here is not to give all that you have to live on unless God calls you to do that. The model here is to be generous towards the Lord and to have faith for Him to meet your needs. And isn't this kind of the way that God works though? Think of it, the widow gives two little coins and from those little coins, literally billions of dollars have been generated for the kingdom of God. Jesus likened the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed, small, concealed, yet blossoming into a powerful tree. In the same way, our acts of generosity might not always reveal immediate impact, but their efforts are immeasurable. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Today, Pastor Steve shares an insightful lesson on the effects of our generosity. It's the conclusion of a message called The Generous Life. If you missed the previous segments, you can listen online at thejourney.fm. But now, reading from Luke chapter 21, here's Pastor Steve DeWitt. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. People are coming to the temple, and part of what they're doing in their worship is they are giving their tithes and their offerings. And so they would go into the court of women, and they would go to these trumpet-shaped offering boxes, and they would dump the money into the box, and that is how they would that is how they would give it. So Christ is there. He's been teaching all day, and, and the idea here is that he takes a seat somewhere in there, <laughs> and he's, he's watching people as they give their offering. And from this position, the text says that he notices the rich who are putting their gifts into, into the temple treasury. Now, what advantage does Jesus have in that moment over the disciples and, frankly, over everybody else that was there? Well, as the Son of God, he knew more about every person that was coming to give that day. And when it came to their giving, he also knew their entire situation. And so he, he sees the rich coming and putting their gifts into the offering. In order to give a large gift, it required a lot of coins. And so you have these rich people who have these big bags of coins that are obviously apparent to everybody that's watching, and they're coming up, and they are dropping their gifts into the boxes. Then the dramatic moment happens that Jesus is highlighting here. It's verse, tw- it's verse 2. It says this, He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Widowhood was basically meant destitution. So here you have then that day at the temple in the midst of crashing 13 boxes. And a little bit later, these big bags being dropped in. You have this widow who slips into the court of women. What do we know about her? Here's the only thing that we know about her. She's poor. And so this is a woman who has gone through major trauma in her life. Life has not treated this woman very well. Can you relate to that, by the way, this morning? Can you relate to a woman in the text of God's word who is going through financial crisis, she has lost her family, she is probably experiencing all of the loneliness and all of the trouble and difficulty of living life in that situation, 
Here she comes into the court of women. And everyone, of course, is, is applauding and is, is seeing the rich drop their gifts into the box. But here she is. She is not bitter. She is not angry with God. She has not given up her faith. And she slips over to one of the boxes. That, and maybe right after one of the rich people. <coughs> like that you know and she gets over there and it says that she has two small copper coins let's talk about these two coins these were the smallest of the smallest coins in the currency and so these are very thin very small like almost nothing kind of coins and she's got two of them and she goes over to them uh, to the box and she drops both of them in by the way I didn't mention this these would have added up both of these together something less than a, a cent Both of them together, less than a cent. So she goes over to the box, and she quietly, it says, puts both of them into it. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a widow, and I I have two pennies here because this is as small as we get in our currency, so here I have two pennies. If, If a widow came up to me and said, Pastor Steve, I love God. This is all I got. I want to give something to God. What should I do? I would say, you really want to give something to God? You really do? Because we would be glad to help you. And could I give you money that you could then give? You know, something like that. I'd try to sort of rationalize it around. Or I would say this, if you've got two, why don't you give one to God and try to do what you can with the other one? I mean, 50% tithe, that's pretty high. But if she had only given one, I don't think we would have been talking about her 2,000 years later. Now, Mark tells us that as she gives the gift... Jesus quickly calls his disciples around him. This is what he says to his disciples. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. He says this. She has put in more than all the others. The Greek, is it's possible, there's room in the meaning for it to mean this. She has given more than all the others combined. And he explains it this way. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. What is Jesus saying here? This is what he's saying. In the economy of God, what impresses him is not how much we give, but how much we keep, or to say it this way, it's measured by the sacrifice that it is to me personally. And this is why Jesus was not impressed by the gifts of the wealthy. Did they give large sums? Big sums. But they had tons more. There was no sacrifice for them in giving it. So in the case of the rich, their gifts were large, but their sacrifice was small. In the case of the widow, her gift was small, but her sacrifice was huge. And it was the widow, listen Bethel, it was the widow that day that was commended by Jesus, not the rich. And when it comes to this aspect of our life and our stewardship of the things that God gives to us, We have to realize that God grades on a curve. And the curve of determination is, what kind of sacrifice is it to me personally to do this? Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says this about giving to the Lord. 
For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I wonder if he had the widow here, the story of the widow, in mind as he writes this. Here he is answering a very common question, and I get this question from people uh, semi-regularly, and this is the question. How much do I have to give to God, i.e., what's the minimum amount that I need to give to God in order for me to know that God's happy with me? The tithe is a basic redemptive principle. We find it with Abraham. We find it all the way through. Jesus somewhat hints at it. But then we get to the New Testament, and there isn't this give 10% and God's happy with you, which in a way that would be easy, wouldn't it? I'd sort of prefer that because then I can sort of measure myself and know that I'm good with God. But we get to the New Testament, and we have this whole concept of grace giving, that I'm not giving what I have to give in order for God to be happy. I am giving to God what I want to give in light of the abundant grace that he has given to me. So it's a much higher bar. We are the richest Christians that have ever lived. The poorest person here is probably in the top 10% of richest Christians who have ever lived in the history of the church. We're going to get to heaven. You realize, every one of us, we're going to get to heaven. And when we're sort of hanging out with people, drinking whatever they drink in heaven, uh, uh, playing golf in heaven. So what did you do when you were on earth? I was a, a tradesman in, uh, in the United States of America, and I lived from 1960 to uh, 2020. Oh, did you make good money doing that? I don't know. It was, it was all right, I guess. You know, well, how much did you make? I'm, I think I made, I don't know, I made 60, 70,000 a year, as I recall, something like that. And, and uh, uh, the guy's going, a what? So what did you do? I was a tradesman too. Really, where? India. When? 800 to 860? Really? What did you make? Pfft, nothing. We scraped by. You didn't have a house? No. Car? What's that? Microwave? Huh? No TV? What's that? And you realize that there's, we are going to be, we'll be have, people will be interested in us because of the way that we, that I'm, that actually, they won't be interested in us, but it'll be interesting conversation. Uh, <laughs> We're going to get to heaven, and we're going to be really interested in them, I think, is what's going to happen. Like, wow, that was, I admire you. We are going to get to heaven and find out that we, are, we were the richest people, the richest Christians who ever lived. And we're going to talk to people that were in the church of Philippi or church at Ephesus or something like that and say, wow, with all that money, you must have done amazing things for God in giving it to him. Are you ready to answer that question? So in this story, we all want to identify with the widow, don't we? We're the rich people in the story. We're the rich people in the temple. And I just think, what does it mean in America when Christians ask, what is the, the richest Christians ever lived? What is the bare minimum that I need to give in order for God to be happy with me, for me to sort of check my list and think that everything is okay? I would say we're asking entirely the wrong questions here. These are not the questions that God would have us answer. Here's the real question. This is the, what the widow, I think, just beats us over the head with. It's this. What is sacrificial giving for rich American Christians? I cannot tell you as a pastor in any good faith, you tie it to God, you're good with God, and when you get to heaven, he's going to say, well done. I can't say that. I don't know. Maybe not here if I'm speaking in Sierra Leone. 
then I've got a little more understanding. Or if I'm speaking in places I've been in India, and they talk about giving anything in India, I'm like, how are you going to exist if you give that? But here in America, in suburbia America in particular, I'm not comfortable with saying that. So that's why I don't like the whole percentage question in the first place. I think it's, it's, it's wrong-headed. Here's another quote from my series last year. I'm just quoting it because I can't say it any better. Do I believe that tithing as a rule from God is in effect? Yes and no. Tithing as a redemptive principle gives us a baseline for beginning, not ending our giving. Tithing is simply a starting point. In our context, do I believe that if you are not giving 10% that you are robbing God? Yes, I do. Other than some extraordinary circumstance, most of us should be giving more. However, just because you give 10% doesn't mean that you are pleasing God either. And this statement, if I can say uh, biasly, I really like this statement. If you don't make it a rule, people who love money don't start there. If you make it a rule, legalists stop there. I can't say it any better than that. So why is that true? Why is this statement true? Because this is what the widow teaches us, is that God doesn't measure by the percentage. He is measuring our giving based upon the sacrifice that, we, that it is to us personally in giving it. Now, let me give you an example. I was talking recently with somebody who said to me, they said, I like Oprah. And I said, really? Why? And she said, oh, she's so generous. And I said, you mean the car thing? She goes, yeah. I said, you realize, like, Pontiac donated those cars. It didn't cost her anything to give those cars away. She's like, uh, how about the schools that she's doing? I said, I said, yeah, like $40 million she spent on that school. Whoa, yeah. And I said, now, let's do the math on this a second. What is $40 million when you're worth way over a billion dollars to you? And so we started doing the math on, okay, if you were worth 100000 what would that? And you see where that was going in that conversation. What is generosity? We tend to define it based upon how much it is, the face value. That's our problem. Generosity is, in God's eyes, defined by what is kept, how much he got left over, what the sacrifice was in giving the gift. Listen to C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors. This is how he said it. I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those who, with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. I think Lewis asked an intriguing question. What lifestyle changes have my giving to God cost me? What things are there that if I was just Joe Unbeliever on the street that I would do or buy that I'm not doing or not buying because I am giving those funds away to the Lord, some cause, mission, whatever it would be? And I'll tell you, this series last year, I didn't just teach it. It was very 
challenging to me personally. And one area that I got thinking about was my will. And I did a will many years ago, and it was just normal will, you know, kind of thing. Not, not any different than Joe Unbeliever on the street kind of a will. And I got thinking about that, and I thought, you know, my will does not look at all like anybody that's seriously wanting to invest for eternity. And so I redid my will. And I am, I actually, I breathed a little sigh of relief when the paper was officially signed, you know, and it was all a done deal because I feel like now I'm prepared to give an account for, for that. And that's just one area that I and all of us have to think about and any number of areas to say, how am I, how am I investing for eternity? How am I preparing for the life to come? And, and Jesus talks about this and money at length. Here's the, probably the most famous statement that Jesus makes. Here's heavy words. Do not lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust decay and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not decay and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I gotta tell you, I feel a pressure as the teaching pastor here at this church. Here we have a couple thousand souls that are largely shaping their spiritual lives around what is taught from this pulpit. And I, am, I feel pressure because you're going to be in heaven someday. You're going to be in eternity someday. And what I don't want to have happen is for you to come up to me when we're both in eternity uh, on the golf course or whatever we're doing there, uh, drinking whatever they drink up in heaven, and you say to me, you know what, I'm sort of ticked off at you. Or I would be ticked off, but I can't anymore because I've got this glorified body now. <laughs> if I was in my old body, I would be hacked off at you I don't want you to come up to me and to say, listen, I didn't realize how important this is. I didn't realize that I had the opportunity to be rich towards heaven. I didn't realize it because you didn't tell me. I don't want to hear that from you. That's pressure that I feel. I want every Christian here, when you step into eternity, for you to step into eternity rich towards heaven. I can't do that for you, but I can tell you how you can be rich towards heaven. And this goes way beyond just money and all that. Obviously, there are so many other things. We talk about them all the time. But today, we're talking about this one thing. And in this one thing, there is one way for you to be rich towards heaven with your money. And that is for you to be a wise steward of it and for you not to love it and for you to be generous in giving it to the causes of the kingdom of God and to invest in that way for eternity. And trust me, when you get to glory, you'll be glad that you did. I want you to come up to me and say, Pastor Steve, those first nine years at Bethel, weak. They were weak. But then you did that whole buried treasure series. I sort of got it. And as you kind of every year brought it up and said, hey, you want to make sure that you're rich towards heaven and you've been thinking about this, I want you to know I'm glad that you were my pastor. That's what I want to hear. And that's why I come to you with it on a very delicate subject, money. As Randy Alcorn says, we don't get to keep it, but we can send it ahead. I like that statement. We don't get to keep it anyway, but we can send it ahead. Stewardship goes beyond money to time and gifts and talents that we have. But as a pastor, my observation is God's people don't struggle that much with those. 
We have a work day, people show up. They want to give their time. We need 54 people in children's ministry. People sign up for that. They want to use their gifts for the Lord. I do, I see that. Those areas, people are very willing. But for some reason, when you get to the whole area of stewardship of money, people's palms begin to sweat and we get a little shaky and we get a little unnerved about it. And we don't want to give it away. And then we read about the widow, the poor widow who had nothing. And I wonder who here isn't humbled by the two coins the widow gave. I am. She gave all that she had to live on. The model here is not to give all that you have to live on unless God calls you to do that. The model here is to be generous towards the Lord and to have faith for him to meet your needs, whatever those might be. And isn't this kind of the way that God works, though? Think of it. The widow gives two little blink, blink. And from those little coins, literally billions of dollars have been generated for the kingdom of God. As people down through the ages have read about the widow and their hearts have been convicted. And they've said, you know what, that's a model, that's an example that I want to follow. And I don't think it's going to be hard to find the widow in heaven. Look for the richest person in heaven, and I would bet it's this widow that we've studied today. She will be very rich there. The question this morning is, will you? Will you? Amen. Heavenly Father, right now, I just pray that whatever uneasiness the love of money creates in this room, talking about money from a biblical perspective, I just pray that you would take it away. Just take it away. And whatever truth has been uh, taught today that would allow for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the preparation for an eternity in heaven, may that just land solid in our hearts today. And Lord, it's going to be different for all of us, but I pray that every one of us would honor you with all of the resources that you put at our disposal. I pray that we would be a church, maybe not rich here, but rich in eternity. How glad we will be then. Give us that eternal perspective. Help us to live uh, not for this world that is so quickly passing away, as Scripture says, but to live for eternity and to live for the life that will never end. Give us that perspective, I pray. And help us to love you more than any of the gifts that you give to us. You are, as James says, the giver of all good gifts. And so we, want, we love what you give us, but we love, we love it because we love you. And so increase that love today, I pray. And may Jesus Christ be praised. We ask in his name. Amen. Amen. You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt and the conclusion of a message titled, The Generous Life. There's more to come in part two of our message tomorrow, so be sure to tune in then. Or access the complete series online at thejourney.fm. Just click on the current series tab. And while you're on our website, you'll also find practical articles written by Pastor Steve just for you. You'll receive biblical insight on a variety of topics like faith, family, finances, and so much more. Again, you'll find them at thejourney.fm. Well, here at The Journey, our aim is to guide you in your life journey towards the unwavering and immutable truth found in God's Word. That's why each day on the radio and internet, we take our listeners into the depth of Scripture while making the truths easy to understand and applicable to daily life. But as a listener-supported program, 
None of this would be possible without you. The journey relies in part on the financial gifts of generous friends like you, which allow us to share the truth of the gospel to listeners all around the country. So would you join hands with us in this mission today? You can call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. And when you give today, we'll say thank you by sending you a book by best-selling author Randy Elkhorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. And in it, Elkhorn helps unlock the secret of joyful giving. If you desire a fuller and more satisfying life, discover how the joy of giving can make your life richer starting today. Request your copy of The Treasure Principle by calling us at 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. Well, I'm Tim Svoboda. Glad to have you with us today. Be sure to join us tomorrow when Pastor Steve begins part two of today's message. That's Wednesday on The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.